Thank you, Lord, for uh, your word and the word that was made flesh. Thank you for the presence of your spirit and all of our attempts to break your word one with another. We pray for Adrian today. You'll bless him, help him to feel at home in a place where he is at home, and help him to feel and realize the presence of your spirit in the things he'll share. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks, Dad. <laughs> and thanks for the opportunity to be here to share in this place the privilege of sharing from God's Word and some of uh, opportunities to connect to his mission through CBM. Uh, it is good to be home. It's good to take any excuse to come and see the ocean and uh, also to be here in this place where uh, I really did appreciate my year studying here. I do have to say, though, I'm a little uncomfortable uh, because the last time I stood and spoke from this pulpit, I was being graded by my peers and my professor. So uh, you'll forgive me if I'm expecting you to try to catch me in poor exegesis or a poor delivery. Uh, I don't see any red pens, though, so uh, be kind. So Dad already introduced me, but this is my family, and I take uh, great pleasure in showing this picture. Uh, it was taken at Christmas this year, and I do it intentionally because my son is a lot like his father and was making it very difficult to get a good family picture. And we kept trying and trying and trying. He kept making ridiculous face after ridiculous face. I said, fine, I'm going to use that every time I speak when I introduce our family. So it got put on Facebook, and it gets shared in churches across the country and across the world. Um, I showed it in Cuba uh, this past weekend. Um, and if you knew my son, Eli, you would know that uh, he would not be impressed with this. So hopefully next Christmas the family portrait will be easier to get. And my wife, Nicole, and I have been married for 18 years coming up this summer. Uh, Eli's, as Dad said, is 15, Grace is 12. Uh, I love them, and they're, they're great, and great to see how they've settled into life in the center of the universe in southern Ontario, or so many people would like to think. I really love my job. I love my job. I say I have the best job in the world. It's not what I set out to do, but I get to connect with all of our international partners. So Canadian Baptist Ministries, CBM, is the international mission arm of the Canadian Baptist Church, about a thousand churches organized in four conventions and unions across the country work together, partner together for mission uh, in about 17 countries, depending how you define partnerships. I get to work with each of those partners. And then the, the other really great part of my job is I get to work with our churches. So I'm the bridge between the Canadian church and the international work, connecting them in hands-on, practical ways, physically present through short-term experiences uh, and through church partnerships, funding opportunities, and uh, opportunities to connect intentionally with our work. Uh, so, some just quick points about who CBM is and why I believe um, they are the organization, we are the organization that you in your ministry should partner with. Uh, there's lots of good mission organizations out there. Um, at the same time, I think we have some unique things that uh, make it worthwhile to partner with us. The local church is the center of everything we do. Nowhere in the world will you see a CBM logo on a water tank. Nowhere in the world will you see a CBM logo on a church. We work with partners, local church partners in places like Bolivia, the, the Bolivian Baptist Union, in places like India, where we started our work, in places like the Philippines with Kapika Anan Baptist Ministries, um, in places like Cuba with the Fraternity of Baptist Churches. 
Nowhere do you see a CBM logo. We work in partnership through local churches by invitation. Um, those are some core values that we hold to in our work. Uh, it's harder, I'll tell you that. Uh, working in partnership is more difficult than just going in and doing your own thing. Uh, but I believe it's right and therefore worthwhile. Also, we believe unapologetically and firmly in integral mission, which just gives language to what I believe the Bible teaches. That as the followers of Christ, as the church today, we're called to bear witness to the gospel and what we say in our word, calling people to repentance and faith in Christ, and then demonstrating that good news in action. Uh, I heard uh, just this weekend, I was at an event, and the speaker said, you know, it's not good news. It doesn't sound like good news if it doesn't apply till heaven. And I said, yeah, that's right. We are called to be people of word and deed. Um, so I, I'd love to talk with you over lunch if you want to chat more about CBM and opportunities to connect, in particular about the Praxis program, and I'll mention that just in a few minutes. Uh, but I do want to share with you what I hope are a few helpful insights this morning from a very well-known parable of Jesus. Luke chapter 8, the parable of the sower. Let's hear Luke 8, verses 1 to 15. After this, Jesus traveled from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. When it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. When he had said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Skipping to verse 11, Jesus describes the meaning of the parable, saying, The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed that fell on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence with us. May you speak to each of us today, in Jesus' name. So as I said, this is one of Jesus' probably better-known parables in the church. I'm sure uh, if you grew up in the church, you would have heard it in Sunday school, heard sermons preached on it. Maybe you've done assignments on it. Maybe you've preached sermons on it. I don't know. Uh, when I approach a well-known passage of Scripture like this, uh, the danger, I think, is to just assume I already know what it means and move on. Uh, so I hope that today um, some of these insights for what they're worth will be maybe a new way of looking at it, uh, and be helpful for each of us. When I read this parable, I always read myself into it, probably because of our narcissistic culture. But anyway, I read myself into it as the soil. I'm the, the object of the parable. I, I 
It causes me to ask the question, uh, what type of soil am I right now? What type of soil am I right now? Uh, what are the rocks, what are the thorns that need to be removed from my life so that I might grow to maturity in Christ, so that I might bear fruit in my life? It causes me uh, to be introspective, to look inward and say, are life's worries, or probably more aptly for our culture, are life's riches and pleasures choking out the word of God in my heart? It asks, causes me to ask, how can I how can I persevere in hard times so that I root my life in Christ and see that good harvest? And these are good questions. They're questions that we should ask as followers of Christ. But they're not the questions that I'd like us to look at uh, this morning. Instead, I'd like us to shift the focus and read ourselves into the parable, not as the soil, but as the farmer. As followers of Jesus Christ, yes, we are obviously people in whom the word of God needs to grow to maturity. But at the same time, we are people who have been given good seed to sow in our communities, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our churches, our schools, our country, and our world. We are farmers. We are farmers called to sow good seed. I think if we look at how Jesus described his followers elsewhere in scripture, this is really self-evident. We know, of course, the Great Commission, that well-known passage in Matthew 28. Jesus says, go, as you go, make disciples. As you're going, make disciples. Sow good seed, you're a farmer. Acts 1.8, recording the same event, Jesus says, you're my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Sow good seed. In Matthew 5, Jesus says to his followers, you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. May people see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says, this is who you are. You're salt, you're light. And as you make this world a better place through your good works, sow the good seed of the gospel. In Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, the Apostle Paul describes followers of Christ as those who are saved by grace through faith so that they can do good works. Just as a complete side note, in your children's ministry, please don't give Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 as a memory verse without talking about verse 10. Yes, we're saved by faith, grace. We don't earn anything, but we're saved so that we might be a people of good works. So, good seed. <laughs> as followers of Jesus Christ this morning, we need to continually... Let the good news grow in our hearts so that we can then be good farmers, sowing good seed in this world. Because if we don't do it, who will? So that's, I always do this. I don't know why I bother. That's the first thing I'd like us to note from this parable. We are called to be farmers. Secondly, the seed is good. The seed is good. Note in this parable, all of the failures, all of the spots where... Uh, you know, calamity happened and the crop did not grow. In none of those cases was there anything wrong with the seed that was sown. Look at each one. Verse 5. Farmer went out to sow his seed. He scattered the seed. Some fell on the path. It was trampled on. Birds ate it up. Nothing was wrong with the seed that fell on the path. The problem was that hard, compacted soil from years of being walked on. The problem was people coming and going, trampling on the seed. The problem was the birds coming, eating it up. Jesus tells us in verse 12, the problem was the devil taking the word from people's hearts. The seed that fell on that path was good. In the same way, the seed that fell on the rocky ground, verse 6, when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. 
There was nothing wrong with that seed. The problem was the rocks. The problem was that shallow substratum with rocky soil with no opportunity for root. The problem was a lack of moisture. Jesus tells us in verse 13, the problem was that lack of root and therefore falling away during the hard times of life. But the seed that fell on that rocky soil was good. The same way, verse 7, the seed that fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Again, nothing wrong. The problem wasn't the seed. The problem was those thorny weeds, those invasive species that grew up and choked out, took all the moisture, the nutrients away from the crop, killing that new plant. Jesus tells us in verse 14, and again, I think this is really one that we in North America need to hear. The problem was letting life's worries, riches, and pleasures prevent the seed from growing to maturity. The seed that fell among those thorns was good. The seed's good. And I think as the church, we need to be reminded of that and hear that, because sometimes I don't know if we believe that, that the seed that we have been given to sow in this world is good news for our country, for our neighbors, for our friends, for our colleagues. The seed is good. And a deep-held, I believe, a deep-held appreciation for the goodness of that seed is crucial for our witness in the world today. The seed is good. It's the gospel. It's the word of God. We have good news. And it should look like good news. Both in how what we say and what we do. It's good news. There's hope. There's freedom. There's grace. There's mercy. There's forgiveness. There should be compassion for the poor, food for the hungry, love for our brothers and sisters, peace, reconciliation. This is the life that we have to offer. This is the seed that we have been given to sow. It's good news for Syrian refugees. It's good news for Syrian refugees living in Lebanon as their neighbors radically obey the command of Christ to love their enemy. If you know anything of the history of that region, they don't want them there. But the Lebanese church, CBM's partner in Lebanon, is loving their enemy and providing for these refugees. It's good news for children who live in a South American prison in Cochabamba, Bolivia. Who live in a country where the law is, if your parents go to prison, you go with them. And it's not a prison like, uh, I've been in it, it's not a prison like we have here. But it's good news as they experience the word of God proclaimed and demonstrated at the Casa de la Amistad, the friendship house across the street, where for the half day they're not in school, they get to get psychological counseling, spiritual care, healthy food, and are just allowed to be kids. It's good news for the people living in Hopevale, in the mountainous region of Panay province in the Philippines. I was just there in November and took these pictures uh, as Michael Waddell, if you know the Waddells are from this region. I was with Michael and uh, the community is rebuilding after devastating landslides and earthquakes and rebuilding their church and child care center. They're our partner there and was able to be present and welcomed into their homes in that time. It's good news for those people. It's good news for children who have been orphaned or made vulnerable by HIV and AIDS in Kenya. Uh, well, it is good news for those people. That's not the picture. Who <laughs> are part of Camp Tumaini, uh, opportunity just to be kids. This picture is one of the coolest pictures I've ever taken. And it's the picture that I use when people tell me that the preaching of the word must be primary and the demonstration of the word is secondary. I say there's no difference 
Because this community in rural El Salvador that I visited, and I met with the pastor, that church took an initiative to build that dilapidated structure by our standards so that the children in that community would have a place to play in the shade of the sun. Yes. Amen. You know that through that initiative, it was, it completely works, right? There's no preaching in that, right? Through that initiative, six of the eight people on the town council, the community association, which has a lot more power in El Salvador, six of the eight people came to faith in Christ through relationship with that pastor and the good work that church was doing. That's integral mission. That's integral mission, and that's the work that we're called to do. So don't tell me that building a child care center is not preaching the word. It's good news for Chinese students living in Germany. This sounds crazy. Our Chinese ministry is centered in Germany. Why? Because in Germany, as I understand it, you receive free tuition for post-secondary, even foreign students. And Chinese students go to Germany in huge numbers to study. And while they're there, they hear the gospel. They're discipled. And they're equipped. And then they're sent back to mainland China to be witnesses in their community. And it's, it's incredible people coming to faith in Christ and being discipled and trained and equipped in Germany as Chinese students. The same is true in Lebanon uh, as ABTS, the Arab Baptist Theological Seminary, is a strategic center to equip and train pastors and theological students from across the whole Middle East, North Africa region. Because it's one of the few places in that region of the world where uh, people of Islamic background can study theology and are free to do that. The seed is good. We have been given good seed. We need to sow it. And as I wrap up, the third reality, the third insight that I would like us to glean from this parable of the sower is that the harvest is certain. Verse 8. Other seed fell on good soil, came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. You know, again, this is a spot where in our familiarity, I think we read this verse and miss what it's really saying. We miss the extravagance of it. I missed the extravagance of it until I read a book by uh, Dr. Gordon King, an alumni of this place and a mentor of mine, and, and someone who if you ever have a chance to listen to, sit and listen. Read his book, Seed Falling on Good Soil. In that, he puts the parables in their first century Palestine context. And he highlights how in first century Palestine, a harvest of 1 to 7.5, or 7.5 to 1. So if you harvest, you get the math. I don't need to teach it. Uh, 1 to 7.5 would have been celebrated as an extraordinary blessing from God. 1 to 7.5. You know, if everything went well in that dry, arid land where it seldom did, four or five times was standard. In this sentence, Jesus calls his audience to envision a harvest so plentiful that it defies imagination. It's incredible, 100 times more than what was sown. The audience would have been challenged to hear a harvest beyond expectation and to envision that harvest beyond expectation. He writes, the parable would have challenged the listeners to envision, at least for a moment, a world of abundance in which hunger was no longer a factor. In one narrative moment, a bountiful harvest removes any doubt about the farmer's knowledge and practices. 
the same time, let's acknowledge for a moment that the math in this parable, yes, I'll bring it back to math, can be discouraging. The farmer could be seen as wasteful, probably would have been seen as wasteful in that time. In three of the four places where that farmer threw that seed, it did not grow. In the same way, our work as farmers today in this world, particularly in, well, no, I won't say that, even in our work here in Canada, can sometimes be discouraging because we sow seed and we don't see the harvest. I think of John the Baptist, you know, the one who said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who finds himself in prison and sends his disciples to say, Are you the one to come? Or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replies and says, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In essence, Jesus says to John, open your eyes and look around. My kingdom is breaking in all over the place. And in the same way, even as I've tried to highlight a little bit today, may our eyes be opened to the reality of a certain harvest, 100-fold, beyond imagination. All over the world, as Paul writes, the gospel is growing and bearing fruit. And we at CBM are privileged to just be one small part of that and would invite you to partner with us in it. Just as I conclude, I'd like to challenge you a bit with a question. And the question is this. What would it look like for you in your life to sow more seed? What would it look like for you in your life to sow more seed? Maybe purposeful conversations with coworkers, with friends, inviting someone to come with you to worship, praying for someone, taking intentional time to pray for someone to know Jesus, getting to know someone who struggles with uh, living in poverty, material poverty, spending time listening to their story, um, partnering with work that your church is part of in your community, in your neighborhood, but also around the world. I think that the church has experienced a very helpful correction to remind us of the importance of neighborhood ministry. But at the same time, we cannot fool ourselves into thinking our neighborhood is not connected to neighborhoods around the world. And that decisions that we make in our neighborhood often have consequences for the most poor and vulnerable in places that we may never visit. What would it look like for you to sow more good seed? I want to share with you, well actually let me pray for you and then I have one quick thing to share with you before we wrap up. Lord, thank you for the good seed that you have given to us. Thank you, Lord, that it has fallen on us and that it's growing in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help it to grow to maturity in each of us. Do that in my life. At the same time, Lord, help us be farmers, sowing that good seed in our world. May people know you and experience the goodness that you, you want to offer.
Yeah, show each of us, Lord, what it would look like to sow more seed, to sow a good seed. In Jesus' name, amen. Just before I give up my time, I think I have two minutes left, I want to really just highlight an amazing opportunity that for some reason we struggle with getting the word out on. Um, but really quickly, uh, I'm going to ask you to do one thing for me. And again, I just need a quick answer because it's really, I'm out of time. Parable of the prodigal son. You know it, right? You've taught it. You've, you know it. The young son, right, says, my money splits, ends up coming home. Remember the time when he is wanting to feed himself with what the pigs are eating? He's hungry. My question for you, and really quickly answer, why was he hungry? It's a trick question, but pretend it's not. Why, did he, why was he hungry? What led to that? He ran out of money, right? He squandered his wealth in wild living. Good North American answer. Good North American answer. Almost exclusively North Americans say that because of our cultural value on uh, hard work equals providing for yourself. You know, if you asked a group of Russians, almost exclusively they would say there was a famine in the land. If you ask a group of Tanzanians, almost exclusively they'd say no one gave them anything to eat. Our culture, as Anna Robbins would say, is the water in the fishbowl. It influences everything about our lives without us even knowing it. It even influences the way we read God's word. Now, in that case, there's probably no theological significance to that. Um, but it influences the value in learning cross-culturally, removing ourselves from our culture into a new place and seeing things from a different perspective. And I have an amazing opportunity called Praxis. Uh, in 2010, oh, oh, it's okay, forget it. Don't worry about it, it's okay. In 2010, I had the opportunity in Bolivia to study with Renee Padilla as part of the Praxis program, and it changed the course of my life. And I would invite you to apply for this. It's a scholarship program to study mission, talk to Shauna, and find out how you can get credit for it, uh, if it fits with your program. Uh, it's a full scholarship. We cover your tuition, your books, your travel, the only thing we ask is a small admin fee of $225 to make sure that you're serious. Uh, not a free course to be approached lightly. It is hard work, it is time away, but it's an incredible opportunity to study global mission in the majority world. Get out of our North American context and see things in a new way. So I'll be hanging around at lunch. I have opportunity, I have some information on that if you'd like to talk more. And thank you for the time. Thank mm -hmm. you.